Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, May 29th. In Revelation 1.8, Yeshua says of himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Did you know that if you read Genesis 1.1 in Hebrew, there is an Aleph Tav right smack dab in the middle of that verse? Truly, Yeshua, the Aleph Tav, is there in the beginning and the end. So, if you were reading your Bible in Hebrew, whenever you come across Aleph Tav, this is a direct reference to Yeshua. The acronym for Daily Audio Torah is D-A-T. In Hebrew, that is Dalit Aleph Tav. When you unpack that in the ancient Hebrew picture language, what it means is this, doorway to the Aleph Tav. The Daily Audio Torah is your doorway to the Aleph Tav, your doorway to Yeshua. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Naso, and it means elevate. Numbers 5, 1-15 The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge or who has become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. This command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. So the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and removed such people from the camp. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty. They must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wronged. But if the person who was wronged is dead, and there are no near relatives to whom restitution can be made, The payment belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest. Those who are guilty must also bring a ram as a sacrifice. 
and they will be purified and made right with the Lord. All the sacred offerings that the Israelites bring to a priest will belong to him. Each priest may keep all the sacred donations that he has received. And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself, even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. Second Samuel fourteen one to fifteen twenty two. Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom, so he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, Pretend you are in mourning, wear mourning clothes, and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I am about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekoa approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground in deep respect and cried out, O king, help me. What's the trouble? the king asked. Alas, I am a widow, she replied. My husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field, and since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, Let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left, and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home, and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, the king, the woman from Tekoa replied. If you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me and on my father's house, and let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone objects, the king said, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never harm you again. And then she said, Please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, he replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my lord the king, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, Why don't you do as much for the people of God? as you have promised to do for me. You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I have come to plead with my lord the king because people have threatened me. I said to myself, perhaps the king will listen to me and rescue us from those who would cut us off from the inheritance God has given us. Yes, my lord the king will give us peace of mind again. I know that you are like an angel of God in discerning good from evil. 
May the Lord your God be with you. I must know one thing, the king replied, and tell me the truth. Yes, my lord, the king, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? And the woman replied, My lord, the king, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God, and your understanding is you understand everything that happens among us. So the king sent for Joab and told him, All right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last I know that I have gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, Go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire, as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servant set field, my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired fifty bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, You've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill the vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur in Aram, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. 
He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors, who lived in Gilo. Soon, many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late. David urged his men, Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisers replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were six hundred men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Ittai, a leader of the men from Gath, Why are you coming with us? Go back to King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. But Ittai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David replied, All right, come with us. So Ittai and all his men and their families went along. John 18, 1-24 After saying these things, Yeshua crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Yeshua had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Yeshua fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Yeshua the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Yeshua said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Yeshua said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Yeshua said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Yeshua said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Yeshua and tied him up. 
First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Yeshua, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Yeshua. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Yeshua about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Yeshua replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Yeshua across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? Yeshua replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Yeshua and sent him to Caiaphas the high priest. Psalm 119, 97-112 Mem, oh how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Noon. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Proverbs 16, 8 and 9 Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. We can make out our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I'd like to speak to you today from 2 Samuel 14 and 15, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 18. And as we read in 2 Samuel 14 and 15, we see Absalom, who has been banished from the presence of the king, 
and he's away in a place called Gesher. So Joab puts up a woman and has her go to the king to tell him a, a parable, a story, because he's trying to convince the king to allow Absalom to return. So she tells him this story, and the king says, Your son, the one who killed the others, should be allowed to live and not be killed and be part of your family. So then she says, Well, king, how about you do this for your own family? Why don't you let Absalom return home? And so the king realizes that Joab has put her up to this, and so he grants Joab's request, and Absalom is is allowed to return back to the kingdom, but now David still won't see him, won't allow him into his presence. So Absalom now is no longer in exile, but he still doesn't get to see the king. What is David's problem? Because all of this is going to end up very badly, and Absalom is going to be be very treacherous and betray him and turn the hearts of the people away from him. What was David's mistake here? David had a weakness. The weakness was that he loved his son Absalom blindly, and he didn't apply proper discipline. And when he didn't apply proper discipline, things get out of hand. So remember, Absalom murdered Abner because Abner had raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. King David didn't do anything about it. He just let it rest. And so Absalom took things in his own hands. So David, though he was a great king and he knew how to fight the enemies of Israel, he had a real blind spot when it came to disciplining his own children. So he loved them, but he would not correct them when they were out of line. So when Absalom was banished, he should have stayed banished and he shouldn't have allowed him to return. Or he should have had him executed, one or the other. Or give him a full pardon and allow him into the presence of the king. But because he allowed him back into the kingdom but wouldn't see him, Absalom was able to hatch his evil scheme and his plot and his plan to turn the hearts of the people against David. And so a conspiracy is born. Now part of this is all according to God's plan anyway, because David committed that sin with Bathsheba and slept with her, though she was a married woman. And when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, God spoke through uh, Nathan the prophet to David and said, "You, what you did in secret is what you did in secret, but you're going to have this come back on you, and your women are going to be slept with by other, another person publicly. And all the side of Israel, what you did in secret is going to be repeated publicly. And we're going to see as the story unfolds that that is exactly what happens. So part of this is David's own doing. It's his sin. The seeds of sin were planted years ago when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And now he's reaping the harvest of that sin. What are our takeaways? What can we learn? How do we apply this to our own lives? Well, sometimes we can have a blind spot when it comes to loved ones. It can be a husband, a wife, a child. 
and we love them so much, and we, we don't see their faults or their flaws. We don't see their sin. Or maybe we see it, but we're soft on it. We're soft on the sin because, after all, we love this person. And I know that that has been an area of weakness in my own life. And when you're soft on sin and you don't have healthy boundaries and you don't give proper consequences for sin, it comes back and bites you butt in the butt real hard. And I, I've paid dearly for uh, not setting healthy boundaries, for not applying proper discipline. And in the end, the person disrespects you. And that's exactly what happened with Absalom. He had no respect whatsoever for the king because the king did not have a fixed, firm disciplinary action. It was all loosey-goosey and very blurred. And, and so Absalom had no respect for the King David, for his father. And so the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And we have to apply discipline sometimes with our kids, especially adult kids. And it's very hard. It's very hard. And yet if we don't, it just sets up the stage for tremendous disrespect. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of honor. In the kingdom, there is tremendous honor. People honor each other when you're walking in a kingdom manner. There's great honor and respect. And that's what we want to uh, bring forth in the way we deal in our relationships. Now I want to jump into John chapter 18. And in this scene that we read, Yeshua is about to be arrested, and Judas is going to betray him. And so he, Yeshua and the disciples have gone to the olive grove to pray, and then the accusers come to arrest Yeshua. And Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, who is the high priest's slave. And Yeshua tells him, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink? From the cup of suffering the Father has given to me. So I want to unpack that a little bit. If we are going to follow Yeshua and truly be his disciple, there will be times in our life, seasons in our life, when we will drink from a cup of suffering that the Father gives to us. And it can be very difficult to drink that cup. And how we handle it will determine future outcomes. If when we drink that cup of suffering, it's like drinking vinegar or straight lemon juice with no sugar, with no syrup or anything to sweeten it, it's just it, very bitter. It's a very bitter cup to drink in that whatever experience it is that he takes you through. It could be a horrendous divorce. It could be a major reversal in your finances, it could be a betrayal of some kind. Um, whatever it is, it's a cup of suffering that you are drinking from. And it's what it is, it's a test. And the goal is we want to pass the test. What is this test about? 
the test is after drinking that cup of suffering and it's a bitter bitter uh, set of circumstances does it make us bitter do we become like vinegar do we become like straight lemon juice bitter or do we purpose and choose to forgive the person or people who have wounded us and hurt us and betrayed us do we it, forgiveness is what brings sweetness in a person's character when we don't forgive we become hardened and bitter when we choose to forgive we stay sweet and we stay loving so it's about our character the test is how are you going to handle this bitter circumstance this suffering that you're going through how are you going to handle it what how do you respond to it you get to choose whether or not you're going to be bitter or you're going to choose to forgive and and stay sweet that's the choice in front of you that's the test in front of you and it's a decision so if you find that you have become bitter in some aspect or area or hardened because of some kind of a cup of suffering that you went through it's never too late you can always pray and ask the lord father god you can pray a prayer like this father god i purpose and choose to forgive this person for what they did to me i purpose and choose to forgive them i yield and i surrender and i put them in your hands and i repent renounce and reject the spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness that spirit must leave right now in the name of jesus in the name of yeshua i close the door to that spirit and i seal it in the blood of yeshua and now holy spirit please come heal my heart and reveal your truth to me then be still and be quiet and allow the holy spirit to speak to your heart he may give you a personal word he may bring a scripture to your mind. He may whisper something to you, but he will speak to you. May we all remain sweet and be forgiving people. Have a blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. 
Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.